welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. Well, good morning, everyone. How's everyone enjoying this fine December morning? It's nice that I can see all of you, or at least I can't see you, but I can see you and I can see most of you. So I don't know what that means. Oh, I can see you in the whack. I see that hand. I see that hand. Wow, we're doing really great. All these people coming to the faith. So, well, I thought this morning we'd start with a, a bit of a joke. So uh, it's not very theologically correct, but adds to the humor of it. So old man was on his deathbed and he wanted badly to take all of his money with him. So he called his priest, his doctor, and his lawyer to his bedside, and he gave each of them $30,000 of cash. And he says, I'm, I'm holding, I'm going to give this money to you in trust that you will bring it to my funeral and that you would put it in my coffin so I could take money with me. So at the funeral, each man uh, put an envelope into the coffin. Riding away in the limousine afterwards, the, the priest suddenly broke out into tears and confessed that he'd only put $20,000 into the envelope because they needed $10,000 for the church. And then, well, since we're confiding in each other, the, the doctor said, well, you know, I only put $10,000 in the envelope because I needed a new machine for the hospital that cost $20,000. And the lawyer, he looks at each of them and he says, I'm, I'm appalled by you guys. I made sure that my personal check had $30,000 in that envelope. It doesn't get cashed. I explain the joke, but I'm... Anyways. It's an appropriate joke. It may not be a funny joke, but it's an appropriate joke for this morning because of the passage we're going to look at. And so I kind of want to start with what the theme of this passage is. And the theme is basically this, is do what is good to help those who are in need. And, and so as we're going to work through this passage, we're going to see that those two words, good and need, show up in each of these verses. And, and essentially, that, that's what the, the, the passage is about, is, is basically helping, doing what's right, doing the good thing to help those who are struggling, those who need the help. And, and so with a, a, a nod to the director, Spike Lee, our message this morning is what we call Do the Right Thing. So before we get into that, I, I think it's important to remember the context again, because I think sometimes the danger is when you zoom in on a passage so much, you, you kind of lose sight of the overall bigger picture of it, the bigger, uh, bigger context of it. And so if we remember, our, our passage really began in verse 17, where Paul opens up this idea, but now learning to, to walk and live in a new way. Uh, now, how are we to live as children of God? And, and so he's He's now not giving a list of, of Ten Commandments, part two. It's not another, another to-do list of what needs to happen. Instead, what he's trying to do is he's trying to stress the kind of behaviors that, that fit and match who we are. And, and I'm stressing that point because, unfortunately, this morning right now, there are too many churches across Canada and the U.S. and really across the world where that's what's happening. Where right now Christians are sitting under this, some teaching where they're hearing a list of, of rules and laws and expectations and most often being beat up because they're not measuring up to that. And, and that's not what's happening. 
And, and the reality is the reason for that is because Jesus did way more than just forgive our sins so that we can now try harder by trying to follow another set of laws, to find, follow another set of rules. Something else has happened. And, and so it's not my job as a pastor trying to control your behavior. It's not my role. It's not my place. It's not for any pastor's job. That's, that's the role of the Holy Spirit to direct and to lead and to guide us. What, what my job as a pastor is simply is to inform you and I of who we are and what implications what that has on us. And you see, that's, I think, what we, f- we fail to understand is what has God accomplished? What has he accomplished on the cross? And the reality is he's done so much more than we could imagine on that cross. See, for example, I think most, most times we only hear is that, well, that's where Jesus died. That's where we were forgiven. And that's true but more happened on that cross. Specifically, more happened to you and I. So what, what happened to you and I? Go ahead and shout out some answers of what happened to you and I on that cross. Forgiven. We are forgiven. What else? Redeemed. Redeemed. What else? Righteousness. Anyone on the wings? <laughs> Who said that? Died. We died. We were crucified with Christ on the cross. And that old self no longer lives, but we're now a new person. And, and we talk a lot about that here at New Life Fellowship, and that's by design. That's, that's intentional, because I think that's the most underreported truth of the New Testament. But the implications of that is so profound, because what it's done is it's actually changed who you and I are. So let's, let's just take a moment and reflect, and, and please don't, don't tune me out because you hear it so much. Allow this truth to hit you again brand new in a new way because you're not just a sinner that's forgiven that's going about life day in, day out. God crucified the sinner and he removed the sinner. They're gone. Now you and I are a brand new creation. We're someone different. And so now what's happening is the Holy Spirit is simply, he's catching us up to this thinking. He's catching us up to who we are now in him. And so we're, we're beginning to reject the lies, the, the lies that we're unwanted, the lies that we don't belong, we don't fit in, we're not loved or lovable, we're not good enough, or we're too much of a mess. All of those lies are, are being jettisoned. We're rejecting those lies as we embrace the truth, as we embrace what God's telling us about who we are, that we're not who we used to be, we're a new person, a new person with a brand new heart. That heart is good. That heart is pure. That you've been approved. That you're not just loved, but you're actually lovable. And that you're not just accepted, but you're actually wanted. That Christ likes you and he cherishes you. You're important to him. That's who we are. And, and so in light of this incredible transformation, what Paul's doing is he's now writing to us, his readers, and he's instructing us now as how we are to live in light of all that. And so he said, think about it in terms of as these, these commands as being like garments of clothing, that we're, we're shedding off the old garments that don't fit who we are, and we're putting on new garments, new clothing that do fit who we are, that match this new position that we have in, in Jesus Christ. So think about it in terms of like, before you came to Jesus, you're a beggar and, and your clothes are ripped and they're torn and they're stained. And it's not like you bought them that way. They've just been worn out that way. 
And now you come into being born again. You come into royalty. And so we, we take off these, these stained and ripped and dis, you know, really shabby clothes and we get rid of them. We burn them. And then you get to put on royal clothes, royal robes. That's who we are. So in light of all that, let's read our passage for this morning. The passage is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 28 and 29. And Paul writes this. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he'll have something to share with those who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning as we, as we study this passage, again, remind us that this is not, not what we need to do to become, but because of who we are, we get to do. That we get to be a part of what you're doing and what you're involved in. And you're, you're inviting us now into a way of life that is healthy, that is, that is filled with freedom, filled with joy and hope. And that we would, we would experience that as we trust you. So we're going to allow you, Holy Spirit, to be the teacher. Because you're a far better teacher than anyone else here. And so speak to each of our hearts, each of our spirits, and minister life to us this morning. In your name we pray, amen. Well, maybe, maybe it's the engineer in me, but I, whenever I come to a passage, I love to see the structure of the passage. I love to see how, how did the, the, the writer kind of uh, logically arrange everything. And I think that's especially the case in Paul's writings. He's a, he had a very logical mind, and so he, he, he kind of lets, uh, uh, plans things out in a very logical way. And so what we're going to see is that he's going to start with a negative command, followed by a positive command that's contrasted with that negative command, and then he's going to conclude with the motivation behind the command. So that's sort of the overall structure, a very smart structure if you ask me. And so our passage this morning, verses 28 and 29, are actually the third and fourth commands of the passage. See, really, the, the, the passage, like we said, began in verse 17, and he contrasts it with how the Gentiles, how the unbelievers live. And then in verse 22 to 24, he, tra- he described the transformation that we talked about earlier. And then he led to the first command. And that first command, verse 25, was don't speak falsely. It was about speaking with integrity, living with integrity. And so the negative was don't speak negative or falsely. And the positive was, but speak truth. Speak with integrity. And the reason, the motivation was because we're one body. We need one another. We need that encouragement. And then in verses 26 and 27, he's going to talk about anger. But here he flips it, and he starts with the positive before the negative. And I thought that was interesting because I wonder if it was trying to stress something. Because the positive here is be angry. And we spent some weeks looking at that and the the value and the importance of anger and and emotions and not, not stifling them, not ignoring them, but allowing ourselves to be angry, the positive. But the negative was, but don't sin out of that anger. Don't let it control you in an unhealthy way. And the motivation was so that we don't allow the enemy to have a foothold or an opportunity in our lives. And now in verse 28, Paul gives us the command that says to no longer steal the negative, but instead to work hard, the positive, so we have something to share. That's our motivation. So let's, let's kind of break down the passage a bit more. The Greek word here for steal is the word klepto. How many people have, are familiar with that word? 
You might have jokingly called someone else a klepto, or you've been called a klepto, maybe, right? It's where we get the word kleptomaniac from. And, and it's, it's that it means to steal. And, and essentially, stealing is where we're taking something from someone else to get what we want without having to pay the cost for it. Isn't that it, basically? I mean, it, it's basically, it's very selfish, it's fraudulent, it's destructive, and, and it always has a cost to someone. It always leaves a cost to everyone involved. And, and the reality is, it's this idea of theft and stealing is common in virtually every single culture. And, and, and maybe even more common in some cultures than, than others. But here are some examples. I mean, some simple ones like pickpocketing or shoplifting or robbing a bank. Uh, mugging little old ladies, those poor little old ladies, right? Mugging them. Uh, Ponzi schemes, right? These scams, especially when CRA is calling. By the way, if CRA calls and, and needs you to pay off the debt with gift cards, hang up, all right? I promise you, just hang up. Uh, corruption that happens with bribes. And, and this we see in all kinds of countries uh, all over the world, probably in every country to some degree. Or, or people who cook the books so they don't have to pay the, the right amount of taxes. Or where the others embezzle money from a company. Or hiding money from a spouse. Insurance fraud. I had this opportunity this week. I, I, on, on Tuesday when that storm hit, I was sitting at a traffic light when someone came and hit me from behind and, and smashed my car up a little bit. And so now I got a little rental. And, and I, I remember having the thought, you know, my neck. My neck's a little sore. Maybe, maybe we can do a little bit of a, a scam here. Now, didn't do it, and I'm not going to do it, but that was an opportunity, right? And so that we have those opportunities. Other forms of theft might be not paying a fair wage to an employee. Or on the other side of it, time theft. Where basically, and this is a growing trend right now with COVID and so many people working from home, where you punch in at eight and you punch out at five, but you don't put in a full day's work in between. Or, or people where they, they game the system, where they, they just find these ways, these loopholes to kind of take advantage of things. So for example, uh, maybe, maybe someone doesn't pay the rent. And they know that they can get away with it because it'll take two or three months before they'll actually be able to do anything. And then it has to go to the, the tenant board. And, and then that drags out for a little while. And they might be able to drag it out for six, seven, eight months and never pay a rent. And then they go off somewhere else. And then they just do the same thing for a while. And so they're, they're cheating. They're gaming the system. These are just some of the examples. And there's so many more that go into this idea of stealing. And again, I want you to see it's, it's widespread amongst every culture. Now, it's, it's interesting, I think, to do a little comparison of this passage to, some, to different translations. So the King James Version, they translated verse 28 with, let him that stole. Or the NIV had anyone who has been stealing. And the English Standard Version had, let the thief steal, or let the thief no longer steal. The King James and the New American, the NIV were very similar, and they're talking about past tense, the English Standard was a little bit different. But the most accurate, the most, most uh, consistent to what Paul initially wrote is actually the New American Standard, which wrote, he who steals. And, and it's subtle, but there's a couple big differences in there. So let's compare it first with the King James and the NIV. They both talked about stealing there in the past tense. Let him who stole, let anyone who has stolen. They talk about it in a past tense way. 
But Paul talks about in a present tense, he who steals right now. You see, I think that's important because often I get asked by people as well, well, can Christians still struggle with sin? And they often look at their own lives and say, maybe I'm not saved. I mean, if, I, if I'm struggling with this sin, maybe, maybe it's because I'm not actually saved. And maybe that's my problem. And, and so they, they start to wonder, like, I mean, if I've repented, shouldn't I never sin again? And the reality is that's not the case. Let's, let's start actually understand the word repentance. See, typically what, what's been taught about repentance is this idea of, of stopping an action and turning 180 degrees and going the other way. And it's an interesting word picture, but it's not actually what the word means. The word repentance, by the way, is a horrible English word. It might, might possibly be the worst word in the entire Bible. Keep in mind that the English word repentance is not necessarily the Greek word. So the English word repentance is really a combination of two words, re and penance. And what's penance? It's some kind of a penalty, right? It's some kind of a, of a self-imposed punishment that you do. So in our, in our Catholic friends, they would often have penance where they, they do some kind of a sin and then the priest would tell, go, go say 300 Hail Marys or pray the rosary so many times or, or give to the poor or do something in order as a punishment, as a penalty in order for you to be forgiven. So repentance is basically to do it over and over and over again. What a horrible idea that is because it completely negates what Jesus has done on the cross. That his sacrifice, his death on the cross, has taken care of everything. It's gone. There's no need for you and I to do any kind of penance at all. So the word re repentance or repentance is completely unbiblical. So what does the word actually mean? Well, the Greek word is metamoinai. I'm pretty sure I didn't pronounce that one right either. But, but basically what it means is it means to change your mind, to change your thinking. And basically, that's what happened at the moment of salvation. You see, before you were saved, your thinking was, I can be my own savior. Now, you may not have thought about it in those direct terms, but basically, you didn't think you needed anyone else to save you, or you thought you could clean up your own act, and, and you could do enough good things. And you came to a point where you concluded, and you discovered that there is nothing you could do to save yourself, that you needed a savior. You needed someone to rescue you, and that person had to be Jesus. You changed your mind that you would be your own God, that you would be in charge, and you would say, God, you're going to be my God. Jesus, you're my Lord. You're the one now in charge. That's what repentance is. And we all did that at that moment of salvation. And so that repentance happens within our soul, but it doesn't necessarily magically change all of our actions. It didn't magically change all of our thinking in terms of how we see ourselves and how we see God. That's how, how God's working in us. And so what's happening now is, is we're beginning to mature, we're beginning to grow, and we're beginning to make better and healthier decisions. Here, here's a couple of examples. There, there are two very high-profile uh, celebrity Christians, Kanye West and Justin, Justin Bieber. Anyone heard of them? Anyone? Anyone? So I remember when they, when they were saved and, and they, you know, Justin Bieber recommitted his life to Jesus because uh, he grew up in a Christian home and, and uh, 
And Kanye West came out and he, he recognized Jesus as Lord. And there was all kinds of fanfare and excitement about that and what that might mean. But then you look at some of their choices, some of their lifestyle choices and think, that doesn't quite add up. And it was almost like we expected that at that moment of salvation that they would immediately have perfect maturity. Well, was that true of anybody in here other than Jeremy? That laughter saying something, Jeremy. I don't know. I, I don't know what that means, but it's saying something, right? Of course not, right? None of us magically immediately had this perfect behavior all the time. Instead, they are growing in their faith. They're maturing in their faith, much like is happening in you and I. What that means is as believers, as Christians, you and I can struggle with all kinds of sins and still be saved. Whether that be alcohol, whether that be drugs, whether that be pornography or lying or cheering on the Ottawa Senators, using iPhones even, and in this passage right now, even stealing. You can struggle with all of that and still be a Christian, which I think leads us to the next significant point of how Paul wrote this. Remember the, the ESV version wrote it to the thief who steals. Let him steal no more. Paul didn't address it to a thief. Paul doesn't call out a thief. Instead, he says to the one who steals, let him steal no more. See, the significance is the ESV made your behavior define who you are, your identity. But that's not how it works. That's not what God's doing. That's not what Paul's saying. Your behavior doesn't define who you are. But when you begin to understand who you are, it will begin to influence and define your behavior. Let me illustrate it to you this way. I want you to think about a river, right? A river has an upstream and a downstream to it. The upstream of the river is our identity in Christ, who we are in Jesus. And the downstream is the behavior. Now, sadly, what can happen downstream is people can, can throw some pollution into the river. It can dirty up the water. Maybe they throw in some sewage or throw in some, some waste or some bad treatment water, all kinds of things. But they, they, they pollute downstream of, that, of that, uh, that river. But polluting the downstream, does it impact the upstream? No. As, even as polluted as the downstream is, it will never pollute what's upstream. As rotten as your behavior is, it will never impact your identity. But here's what's beautiful. The more we understand who we are in Jesus, the more we understand who Jesus is in us, it begins to lead us to live differently, leads us to healthy choices. And now that river runs clean and downstream begins to run clean. And so that's what Paul's telling us now. In light of who you are upstream, new creations, let's live incongruent, let's live proper to that, which means let's steal no longer. And, and so he gives us that negative command to then contrast it with the positive command. And the, and the positive command he gives us is basically instead of cheating and looking for the shortcut to game the system and, and profit off of other people's hard work, instead you and I are to labor. We're to work hard with our own hands to produce something that is good. The word here for labor means, means basically to work hard to the point of tiredness. Now, please understand, that kind of tiredness, that's not the tiredness that, that, is, that is just soul exhausting, where you feel bone tired and, and overworked and drained. 
That's not the kind of tired we're talking about. We're talking about the good tired. You, you've probably experienced that where you've, you've had a, a good day at work. Or, or maybe you're, you're at home and you're cleaning up or you're doing some yard work. But whatever you're doing, you put in that effort. And at the end of the day, your body's exhausted. Your body's tired. But there's something in your soul that's all fed up. Not like fed up, but f- fed. Just entirely feeling, feeling good. And that's because work is, is a healthy thing. Remember our sermon a couple weeks ago with Josh when he was talking about work and how, how work and do, those, those words aren't bad. Those words are good. Even in the Garden of Eden, before the fall, it was expected that Adam and Eve would do work because he commanded them to take care of the garden, to labor, to work in that garden. And so, so work is a wonderful thing. It's not a product of the fall. We're not expected to only put in a, a 10-hour work week and get by on all that. We're called to work. Work is a gift. To be able to do something is a gift. In fact, Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we're created for these good works. We're created to do these things. Because these, these good works, they're a unique adventure that you and I get to go on a journey with, with God. These, these works are things that God's calling us to do, trusting in Him, together. Because it's through that unique adventure, through those works, that we're going to get to know him in a deeper way. And again, there's this great satisfaction that comes from doing what's right. It's often been said that the the best cure for poverty is a job. And essentially, that's what Paul's reminding us here. That we're not going to take the shortcut. We're not going to try to find the the quick hack to to skate by with the least amount of work possible. It's, It's putting in the work that the job requires. Proverbs 28 and verse 19 puts it this way. It says, He who tills his land will have plenty of food. If you put in the work, you'll have plenty of food. But he who follows empty pursuits will have poverty and plenty. And that's the reality. When we're cheating the system, when we're stealing, when we're, we're practicing those things, we're, we're following empty pursuits and eventually it will catch up to us. The phrase here, just so we're clear, though, Paul goes on to say to to work hard with our hands. I want to make clear it's not limited to a trade like construction or auto mechanics. And so that's not what he's saying, that we have to go into a trade. Although I will say that our society has not valued trades the way it should. That that somehow working in an office is is more superior to plumbing or or construction or or a factory job. And, And the reality is all are important. All have their place. So Paul's comment isn't the kind of work you do. It's rather that the work that we do is honest. That you put in an honest day's uh, work, an honest day's effort in order that, again, he's contrasting it with stealing. That's the contrast here. And then he stresses the need for that. So he, he, he summarizes it in the motivation. He says that, that we're to work with our own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with one who has need. See, he's contrasting the stealing, which is selfish and destructive, with sharing, which protects others and builds them up when they're in need. It's about caring for others and building this community. And, and, and by the way, this is, this is not socialism. Often people have this debate or discussion, well, it seems like the early church was, socialist, was, was practicing socialism, and, and there's a big difference. Socialism is when the government takes 
in order to redistribute. Here, what Paul's saying is you get to give. It's not forced. It's not mandated. It's offering. It's why here at New Life, we don't, we don't practice tithing. We don't mandate you give a certain percentage of your income. It doesn't work that way. Instead, you give as God leads. And in giving that, it will help to provide for the ministry that is then able to provide for other people. And so it's not, it's not forced. It's something that is freely given. And so that's what Paul's instructing, is that we work hard so that we have something to share, so that we are able to share because you've put in that hard work, you have enough, you're able to offer with someone else. And that person that we share with is with anyone that's in need. And so maybe it's someone in your family. Maybe it's someone in our church. Maybe it's another friend. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a complete stranger. Maybe, maybe it's to, to some far off country that doesn't have access to clean water. Or maybe it's to those even in our own country that don't have access to clean water. It's basically you get the share. Being, again, at the leading of the Holy Spirit because he knows what that other person needs in that moment. It's according to their need as God reveals it to us. So let's, let's wrap up this verse. Let's wrap up this section with, with another passage that Paul uses in Acts chapter 20. And ironically, it's, it's his last words that he says to the church of Ephesus before he leaves and goes off to Rome. And, and so he summarizes in verse 35, he says, In everything I showed you, that by working hard in this manner, so again, that hard labor, that working hard, that you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. How many people have found that to be true? I have. There's something that, that, that ministers to your soul when you get to give to someone else in a way that you never get when you give to yourself. All right, let's, let's move on to the fourth command then of this section, verse 29, and, and it has everything to do with our words, our speech. So verse 29 says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. The word un unwholesome or, or sapros, it, it means bad or rotten, no good, or to tear down. He, he's not talking about foul language or, or making sure that everyone speaks the Queen's English. That's, that's not what he's talking about. He's not referring to the color or the language you use. It's the, it's the kind of words we use. It's things like gossip or, or bullying, <clears throat> demeaning words that are meant to, to lift ourselves up while we push others down by stepping on them. Think about the movie Mean Girls, for example. They're, they're angry words that's used in a fight to win an argument, to hurt someone else because I'm hurting. It's words that cut that criticize, name-calling. Right now, there's a, there's a growing trend in our society to, to call a woman, especially if she's white and she's acting in, a, in an immature way or a selfish way, to call her a Karen. And please understand, unless that person's name is Karen, please don't do that. Please don't call someone Karen that way. It's, it's meant to shame. It's meant to cut down. It's meant to demean. It's just meant to be cruel. And, and that's the sort of thing that Paul's calling out. That's the thing that Paul's speaking against. 
that we're not meant to shame people with our words. We're not meant to tear them down. We're meant to build them up. <clears throat> Let me share with you one of the, the most powerful <clears throat> bits of wisdom in the entire book of Proverbs. It's Proverbs 18.21, and it says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. This is such a powerful proverb. I, if you can, maybe consider tattooing it on the, on the inside of your eyelids because it's just such a, a powerful proverb for what it says. Think about it. Whatever you say will either build up or destroy. Only one of those two options. So think about our relationships. Think about when we, we speak to a spouse or, or, or when we speak to our children. We speak to our friends or our neighbors, to our, to our employees or our boss or our coworkers. Whatever you say will be an influence. That's, that's guaranteed. The question is, do you build them up? Do you encourage them? Do you edify them? Or do you tear them down? Either way, you reap the consequences of what you speak. You reap the consequences of that action. The, the Apostle James has a longer commentary on the danger of the tongue when it's not controlled by the Holy Spirit. And for the most part, I'm just going to read it because I think it just, it just is so powerful. It's going to speak for itself. But you may want to reread this passage when you go home today or throughout this week and just spend some time on it because it's just such a, an important passage. And, and I think one that speaks to every one of us no matter where we're at. But in James chapter 3, verse 2, he begins with, For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man like Jeremy, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put the bits into a horse's mouth so they obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships as well. Also, they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also, the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. The very world of iniquity, the tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Our words, may they're not meant to cut people down. They're meant to build them up. And, and maybe we need to begin to practice that. And the first person you need to practice with it is to yourself. Because so easily, so often, our, our words, our curses are really self-word, inward-directed. And we need to jettison that. We need to stop that. And we need to begin to edify and build ourselves up in what's true. 
And what's true is because of the cross again, it's, it's you are new. You're so loved. You're so perfect and accepted in Jesus. Who you are right now, despite your struggles, despite your failings. And then begin to practice that speaking as we speak to other people, to our neighbors, to our kids, to our, to our spouses, to our parents, to our friends, even to those who are against us. That we can, we can speak words that build up and encourage and edify. Well, here's why he says that, right? Now the positive command we're going to look at here is these words that are good for edification. There's that word good again, the word agathos. And it's, we see it in verse 28 and we see it in verse 29. In verse 28, we're laboring for what is good, for what is right. And now we're going to speak words that are good. We're going to edify and build up for words that are good. And we need to do that for one another. You know, church right now is going through a shift. Every church right now is going through a struggle because of of, a, of what COVID has caused. It's basically been a, a disturber. It's, it's changed everything. And what's happening is, is churches are now having to, they're forced to begin to move away from a Sunday morning focus, which I believe is a good thing. I think it's a great thing that we're getting away from this idea that church is an event that happens on a Sunday morning. It's not. Church, church is not a building. It's not the temple where we got that, the German word for church from. That's not what it's referring to. The church is the body of Christ, the ecclesia, the gathering, the coming together of, of those who, are, who call Jesus their, their Lord and Savior. And so I've said it many times, the church is not an organization, it's an organism. And so the, the gathering of the believers of Jesus Christ, they come together to experience life in Jesus, to experience it as they offer it to one another. And because of COVID and, and the current restrictions that we're all facing, churches right now are, are being forced to move away from that physical building. And what's happening is we're moving more and more online because there's really not much else we can do. It, it's, so, it's so restrictive when it comes to getting together. But here's the problem. Church online can never work. Church online on its own, all it, it risks becoming is a consumer approach where basically we, we just sit down and we watch church like we would any TV show. And, and the problem with that is it's really no different than those who would come on a Sunday morning and just sit and watch and, and consume but not actually participate. And that's not what it's for. Church, church has to be a participation event. It has to be one where not just a few people minister, but we all minister to one another. And that's why Sunday morning is not what church is about. Church is meant to happen Monday to Saturday more than Sunday morning. There's more opportunities for us to minister to one another throughout the week than there will be when we get together this morning. This morning is simply just a reminder to, to, to see each other so that I can see Nikki and Nikki can see me and, and I can talk with her and find out what's going on in her life where I can see Barry and Barry can see me and, and, and I can get to know what's going on in his world and he get to know what's going on in mine and, and we can pray for one another. We can encourage one another. Where, where I can see Kieran and I can remind Kieran who she is in Jesus and how Jesus lives in her, that God himself lives in her. How cool is that? That's Christ in Kieran. And if you haven't met him in, in Kieran yet, go check him out because Jesus in Kieran is cool. It's amazing. 
And so we have all these opportunities to get to know one another and experience life with one another. And that's what needs to happen. But now what's happening is we're moving away from, from being able to do it physically, but we're not stopped from doing it. We just got to find other ways to do so. And, and so maybe, maybe what it does is we do it on when we can get together on a Sunday morning and, and after church we can hang out and chat a little bit. Maybe you can do it when you're, if you're part of one of the teams. You know, whether the worship team or the AV or any other teams, they get to hang out preparing for this. And they're getting to know one another, encourage one another, and, and share life with one another that way. But it's not limited again to Sunday morning. You know, maybe what can happen is we can, we can you know, send a message or, or a phone call or, or an email or a text. And that's why we set up the directory that you can access through the Church Center app so that you can reach out to one another and encourage them. You know, Norm's not here, but we could be able to reach out to Norm still and, and let him know that God loves him despite him not being here this morning. A little bit less, but still, that's not true. Or, or maybe we can offer a word of prayer to one another. You know, maybe, maybe what be, is being offered is, is something that is really not meant for one person, but meant for the whole church. You know, we, we, we've set up a, a standing principle, and it, it hasn't been taken advantage of enough, I think. But that's okay. We're, we're, we're slowly becoming a bit more comfortable with being charismatic, maybe. But this idea that, that God wants to speak not just through the person who gets up here every Sunday morning. That I believe that God has a message that he wants to deliver through any one of us on any given moment. And we, we call these words of prophecy. And that might sound scary because what we often think prophecy is, that is foretelling the future and, and what might happen. But, but words of prophecy are meant to edify, they're meant to encourage, and they're meant to comfort. That's all they are. And maybe God will put something on your heart that, that, that you want to now share with the rest of the church. And that's what John's coming down to do right now. Right? No. <laughs> well, come anyways, John. Come on down here, John, and share with us. That's what happens when you get up in the middle. <laughs> you get called out. Suddenly you want the lights down now, so I can't call you out as well. But maybe there's a message that you want to share. And if that's the case, by all means, we have an opportunity. We will stop the service and allow you to speak because we believe that God wants to share something through you with the rest of the church. But maybe you don't happen to have that on a Sunday morning, and that's okay because with technology and online, we can do that anytime now. And so I encourage you to, to maybe go on the Facebook community group and, and either write out a message or even better, record a video and post it there where we can have words to encourage one another. And I, I can't stress to you how, how important it is that we do that because I know on my behalf, I need to hear that. I need to hear from you. I need to hear from a flow and from Sue and, and what Christ wants to deliver to you guys from me personally. But the rest of the group needs to hear it as well. Ian needs to hear it. Oh boy, does Ian ever need to hear it. Like, like he needs to hear it and hear it often. So we need to encourage one another. And so we have those opportunities. The question is, will you risk it? And I know it's scary and I know it's uncomfortable but it's not as bad as you think it is. And if you look at others who've done it, look at the response they've gotten. 
They've been embraced. They've been encouraged. They've been thanked for what they've shared. And maybe it hasn't gone as clearly as they, as they wanted it to go. But let me be the example. When I speak, it never comes out as clearly as it is in my head. It is, there is something between the, the head and the, and the mouth that, that just you know, mixes things up. And, and it doesn't have to be smooth and clean. And that's okay. Because it's the heart of it that matters. And so we have opportunities to, to offer that to one another. These, these words of encouragement... See, so look what he says, the, the point of all this. At the end of verse 29, uh, he says, But only such a word that as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that, here's the purpose, here's the reason, the result, it will give grace to those who hear. So just like we saw in verse 28, the word for need, we see it here in verse 29. That these words of edification are, are for a need. They're required. There's, there's a desperation for it. If we don't hear these words of edification, these words of encouragement, we will be lacking. We will be missing out on something. And you will miss out on the glory that comes by giving to someone else. And so they're important because they provide grace. They provide strength and they provide comfort and they provide power and they provide life and resilience that we need in this moment. Because every one of us is going through a difficult time. And so we need these words to keep us moving forward. We need these words of encouragement to keep us, keep us pushing forward. So as we close, let me, let me restate the theme for you. We're called to do what is good to help those who are in need. Just to do the right thing. And maybe even thinking of it even simpler, it's just doing the right thing, the next right thing. What is required in this moment? And, and I think if we think of it this way, it's, is that basically the flesh, because remember there's, there's, a, there's a tension here that, or a fight going on between the flesh and the spirit. Both, both are trying to direct me. The flesh is trying to control me. The Holy Spirit is trying to invite me and lead me. But think of it this way. The flesh, every time it's trying to control me, its outcome will be death. Its outcome will be destruction. Its outcome will tear down and destroy other people. Whereas the Holy Spirit is always going to lead to life and to peace. It's going to lead to encouragement. It's going to lead to support. It's going to lead to building others up. So, so maybe we can, we can put that little check in our mind. right? Ask ourselves this question before you, you do something or before you even say something and say, is this something that would help build another person up? Or is this something that's going to tear them down? Jesus, what's the right thing to do in this situation? We ask ourselves that question quickly and then follow Jesus. Trust that Jesus will show us what to say, what to do, even if it's to say nothing or do nothing. Because there is a time where we wait. And we wait for God to move and do what he wants to do. So let me close with a, a benediction of sorts. And this is from Peter. It's 1 Peter 4, verses 7 to 11. And I think it's, it's such an appropriate passage, not just, or, uh, not just for what we're looking at, but really for the current time and place we are in history. He says in verse 7, The end of all things is near. Therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. 
Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And then here in verse 11, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Those words of edification that are good words for that moment and then that need. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. Because it's no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. And let me serve one another. Let me share with other people. Whether that be money, whether that be time, whether that be a gift, or whether it be helping, whatever it is, may we serve one another. So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Because he's doing it through us. To whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you that we get to do, we get to work. And whether that be our job or whether it be around the house or whether that be in the garden or whether that be with friends, we get to live, we get to do things. And that's a wonderful thing, it's a healthy thing. And we get to share the talents, we get to share the work with other people, We get to even give to other people to help them in their need. And Father, we get to encourage one another. We get to build them up with our words. We get to protect them and remind them when they're under attack, when shame is is knocking on their door or kicking it down. We get to remind them who they really are, Lord Jesus. And I pray that, that we would have the courage to trust you and follow you to say something that maybe, maybe seems out of place or just seems really really risky for us to offer it to someone or, or maybe even to share something with the whole church as a group. That we would trust you and follow you and that through all that, you would be glorified because your life and your light would be shone forth into this very dark world. In your name we pray, amen. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.